Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. You'd open up your Bibles and take out your sword. Joshua chapter 8 tonight, if you'd turn there. Anybody in the room glad for new beginnings? Oh man. This is like the classic example of somebody making not just a tactical error, but a real serious error in judgment of where God fits in their equation. Now Joshua is a hardened man of war. He's an excellent leader. He has proven time and time again to be a man who's concerned about what God thinks. Uh, and yet, as we, has saw, as we saw last time, as Pastor Chet uh, covered chapter 7, this battle that occurs at this little city uh, that should have been uh, a breeze, the city of Ai, well, it didn't go so well. It didn't work out the way that they thought it would work out. And in fact, it turned into a tremendous defeat. Praise God that defeats do not have to define his children. That where there is an opportunity for us to repent and turn and change, God is ready, willing, and able to hear that cry of repentance and to move us on towards greater victory in spite of the fact that we may have experienced a tremendous defeat as the children of Israel just did in chapter 7. You're going to see three principal uh, words here in this first few verses. And I guess the question for us tonight is what do you do What is it that you should really engage in when you've had this kind of defeat? Really the key thing that we see in chapter 7 is that apparently nobody stopped to inquire of the Lord what he wanted them to do. And I think the secondary truth that's very plainly in view is they thought that because they had had a victory at Jericho, that from here on out, they could just go about doing things as they saw fit. They could rest in yesterday's manna. They could rely on the victories of yesterday instead of seeking the Lord's word for the victory today. And this is so important for us. Because you had a victory yesterday, does not mean that you don't need to talk to the Lord today for today's victory. That is a recipe for disaster in the life of every believer. If you want to assure yourself of some lessons that aren't going to be fun, then rest in yesterday's victory. Life often is a series of mistakes, even for the believer. Anybody in here made a mistake in the last couple of weeks? I have. 
Anybody been to LAX while they're doing the construction and driven around the concourse and you, you, you are absolutely positive you know which entrance to go into what parking garage and you get there and that one's closed. And before you know it, you're on your fourth lap around. The flight landed an hour ago and you, you can't even find a parking space. Well, there's, a, there's an app for LAX. All you got to do is put it on your phone and look at it and it'll tell you where to go. But silly me, I've got this, I've been here a hundred times. I know where to go. And where I knew to go was around and around and around and around one more time. You see, I was relying on yesterday's victory. Normally I'm like, oh, I got this. I never use departures. I always go to arrivals, even if I'm going on a departure. Because there's no traffic down there. Unless they're doing construction. There's lessons to be learned in life. And those lessons are this. There is never a time in the life of a believer where you don't need to seek the Lord. Never. Doesn't matter how small the thing is. Doesn't matter how large the thing is. If you want to know the will of the Lord, you need to seek the will of the Lord. And if you want to have a victory in battle, you want to know the will of the Lord, so you better seek the will of the Lord. Henry Ford actually was defined by mistakes largely. He said every single mistake was an opportunity to begin again except more intelligently. Most of you know that Thomas Edison, when he was inventing the light bulb, it's recorded that he actually proclaimed that he had done it wrong roughly 10,000 ways. And he said all I found out was 10,000 ways that it didn't work. Steve Wozniak, the the other unknown half of the inventor of Apple, said that I failed so many times that I ran out of failure and actually ran into success. We have to look at life in the sense that every single day is another opportunity for us to lean on the Lord. And if you don't, Be prepared to suffer some tremendous losses in your life spiritually. They that wait on the Lord are renewed in strength. Amen? But they that run ahead of the Lord often end up places they didn't think they were going to go. Verse 1, Joshua chapter 8. Now the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid or be dismayed. Now he had some reasons to be dismayed. Amen? They had just gotten trounced. They had gone to this little city that should have been an absolute slam dunk victory. But they went in their flesh. They went with their own plan. And in fact, they allowed sin to enter into the camp. They were so assured of their own power in their flesh that they weren't paying attention. Dangerous place for every believer. Notice what God says to them. 
unlike what they had just done, he says, take all of the people of war with you. Don't ever think that you don't need all of the resources that God has given you in every battle. You need to put on the whole armor of God. Amen? Please, in Jesus' name, don't go, well, I have the helmet of salvation. What else do I need? I have the breastplate of righteousness. I mean, come on, that, that should be sufficient for this. You need everything God can give you all day, every day. You never should go halfway into any battle. Take all the people, arise and go up to see Ai and see, I have given it into your hand and given you the king of Ai, his people, his city, his land. And you shall do to Ai and its kings as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil, its cattle, you shall take his booty for yourselves and lay ambush for the city behind it. And so he gives very specific battle plans and actually tells them, this is the crazy thing. So Achan goes and he takes things he's not supposed to take, right? If he had waited a day, he could have had anything he wanted. How many of you have forgotten that principle in your life that if you wait for the good things the Lord has for you, they will come to you? But if you try and do things your way, very often you not only don't get what you set out to have, you actually end up with less than you would have had if you'd done nothing. It's an inverse equation. It, it works to your negative. It is a detriment to you to run ahead of the Lord. And so we have now the situation where Israel's judged the, the sin that defiled their camp, and God now is free to speak to them again in mercy and grace. Remind yourself of this. God is looking for repentance. God works in restoration, but the first words that need to go to God's ears are, God, we're sorry. When you've messed up, the first thing you need to do is confess your sin, for he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9, he's faithful to do that, but there's a condition. You have to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry, God. God does not want to hear your excuses. You see, Joshua could have said, well, you know, we won at Jericho. I, I don't know why it didn't work. Joshua could have said, well, the, I took the wrong guys. There are all kinds of things that Joshua could have done to try and justify the way he led. But what he did was acknowledge the fact that he was wrong and said, God, I need to hear your voice. That is a recipe for success. God, I need to hear your voice. Please speak. Victory is born out of repentance, church. If you want victory over any, you want victory over drugs, it's born out of repentance. You want victory over alcohol, it's born out of repentance. You want victory over sexual sin, it's born out of repentance. You want victory over a violent temper, it's born out of repentance. Every single sin that you have problem with that besetting thing, the book of Hebrews, it admonishes us to acknowledge 
It is going to be healed only when you repent. You cannot keep your sin and expect God to fix your problem. You have to say, God, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, I messed up. Help! If you don't cry out to the Lord, God may leave you with the very thing that you are trying to be delivered from. Repentance is the first step. And by his wonderful grace, God loves it when we say, I'm sorry. You know, the crazy thing is when we ask for forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive us, amen? And to cleanse us. Don't forget that little recipe there in 1 John 1, 9. There's a definite benefit to your soul for repentance. I think repentance has almost become a dirty word in the church. It's like, oh, well, we don't do repentance here. Well, if you don't do repentance, you don't have forgiveness. And if you don't have forgiveness, you won't get restoration. So you better be really good at repenting if you really want to have a vibrant walk with the Lord. Repentance is an essential in the life of the believer. And it is very much an essential if you want to be a child of God at all. Part of your salvation experience is admitting that you're a sinner and you need a savior, amen? That is the initial step. I praise God for the allowance of those do-overs, those fresh starts. Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24, for the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. And though he fall, beautiful passage, though he fall, there's an implication there. The original language seems to indicate when you fall, there's going to be some stubbed toes in your life as a believer. Amen? You who are older in the Lord, say amen. Amen. There will be stubbed toes in your life as a believer. You're going to mess up occasionally. Prayerfully, it will be completely unintentional, but you're going to set things in motion that are going to cause problems in your life spiritually Physically, emotionally, provisionally. That's where you need to say, I messed up, Lord. And I'm asking you to help. Though he fall, he or she shall not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholds them with his right hand. That's God's heart towards you when you fall. He's right there going... Here it is. He's holding out his right hand. You stumbled and fell. And he's going, let me pick you up. But you know the interesting thing about an outstretched hand? Is it takes another hand coming from the other direction to make it useful, doesn't it? I can stick my hand out all day. If we go backpacking in the Sierras and we're crossing across the creek... And there's a log across a river or a creek and I reach out my hand. That hand does you no good unless you grab hold of it. I've been across those logs hundreds and hundreds of times. And I can help you get across, but you got to take my hand and let me help you pull you across. If you go, well, I'm scared. You go, I I don't think you would hold me. I don't know that you know what you're doing. 
You see, the same things we can say to God. I don't know that you know what you're doing, God. I think I'm going to do it my own way. And chances are you're going for a swim. And the same thing is true in your walk with the Lord. You have to trust that God has his right hand stretched out to you. If you want his help, you have to assume it's available. Too many Christians automatically assume that God doesn't want to help them. This is a ploy of the devil, I might add. It's the very ploy that he used against Eve, isn't it? God's not really for you. Actually, he's trying to keep stuff from you. You can't trust him. Don't listen to him. You need to listen to the Lord and look for his outstretched hand. In that sense, no matter what mistake we make, perhaps the worst mistake of all is to not repent and to not try again. Your life is going to be a series of new beginnings. Notice the word of encouragement that's here. You see, it would have been really easy for them to have discouragement over the past. Amen? In this case, the past was the day before. For some of you, it's going to be things of your distant past. For some of you, it will be the near past. For some of you, it might be the past of today that's holding you back, that's discouraging you. The other thing that binds people up is the fear of the future. Both of those things, both of them are a lack of faith and trust in who God is, his character and his nature. When I am uncertain of my past, because I think, because when God forgives, he forgives our past too, doesn't he? Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Amen? He forgives your past. He also forgives your present active sins. And you also have assurance he is going to forgive your future sin. Your past is cared for, your present is cared for, and your future is cared for. There is nothing the child of God needs to worry about in the regard of God's character. He has your yesterday covered, your today covered, and your tomorrow covered. So to not believe that is a lack of faith. Church, it's a lack of faith. You're not trusting what God has said about himself. The children of Israel were in that space. They were afraid. And so God tells them, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed. Never forget that the perfect love of God is what actually casts out fear in our lives. His love does that. When I realize who he is, when I know that he loves me so much, he actually wants things to be right between us. Probably many of you like me, I, I grew up, and I've shared this before, I grew up in a very, very, very legalistic Let's just call it what it is. It was a Southern Baptist church. And it was awful. I was convinced. I was utterly convinced that my every waking moment, there was a God in heaven who, kind of like a cartoon character, had a lightning bolt that was going to come out of his finger, and I was going to be fried into oblivion at any moment. It was my perception of God as a young person. 
because I had no understanding of his grace. I was unaware of his intense love for me. I was aware he was holy. I was aware he was righteous. I was aware of his wrath, but I was not aware of his love. Very unbalanced teaching. God so loved us that he gave us his son. Amen? So his default setting, any of you ever done that on your phone? Factory reset? What happens when you do that? It goes back to the original manufacturer settings. So every personal thing that you did to your phone, eh, gone. It goes back to the default setting. When you press God's default setting, he defaults to I love you, Jeff. That's his default setting. His default setting is not his wrath. It's not his majesty. It's not his holiness. His default setting is he loves you. It's the whole point of scripture, by the way. It isn't just that he's holy, though he is. It isn't just that he's righteous. He is. It isn't just that he's going to pour out his wrath one day on this world. He will. He first loved us. That's the reason he sent Jesus into the world, that the world through him would be saved. He proved his default setting. Don't default to other things, because if you do, then you're going to start trying to dodge his wrath or somehow meet his standard of righteousness. You can't do that without his grace. You can't do that without his mercy, and those things flow out of his Love is default setting. His holiness, he is by nature. But what he does for you is he loves you. That is his volitional choice because it is his key characteristic. Amen? He loves you. When you understand that, you don't run from God, you run to God. When you don't understand it, you try and hide from God. Garden of Eden is proof of that, isn't it? What did Adam and Eve try and do? Hey, Adam, where are you and Eve at? Um, we're over here behind the log. We were naked and ashamed. Remember God's response? Who told you you were naked? Wasn't me. I wasn't shaming you. The devil caused you to bite and you shamed yourself. Church, this is so important as we begin to look at this passage. God never discourages you. He will always encourage. He may chasten you, but he will encourage you as he's chastening you. You may get a good old-fashioned whooping, 
But it's going to be one of those ones where at the end, God is crying because he had to do what he didn't want to do, which is chasten those whom he loves. Notice the word of instruction. God gave them a plan. It's like, do this. Take all of the people of war. Don't take part of them. You went off, in essence, with only a tad bit of what you actually needed. That wasn't my plan. That was your plan. You were being prideful. You were being arrogant. You thought you had it all wrapped up, and you didn't. You weren't listening to me. You were listening to you. And when we run ahead of the Lord like that, we almost always rob ourselves and, unfortunately, we often hurt others. When people who love the Lord get ahead of the Lord, we often end up hurting the very people that we love. What is the word of promise? Notice what it is. I have given you. The third part of the very first verse, I have given it. It's done. If you just listen to me, I've already given you the city. The problem is you tried to take it when I already gave it to you. And the promise of, promises of God stand between two things that are intention, between faith, real faith, and presumption of your own wisdom. Real faith causes you to listen to God, do God's things. Presumption is you already know what you need to know. I got this. I can't even tell you in my own life how many times effectively I've employed Christian presumption. It's like, well, that worked last week, Lord. One of the reasons that God isn't in stasis, he's not static, he doesn't just always do the same thing the same way, is it causes us to lean on him in faith. If there were just an automatic remedy to every situation, people ask me these things all the time. I'll get an email, well, you know, what do I need to do? And they'll list some specific situation in their life as if there's an exact answer for absolutely every single thing that ever occurs on this earth. That's the whole point of prayer. Is it your situation? And it involves those people that you're in league with. It is your family. It's individual. And so God leaves us in this place of faith always and forever. You're not ever going to come to a place in your life to where you do not need to trust the Lord with all of your heart and not lean on your own understanding. But in all of your ways, you're going to need to always acknowledge him. And the benefit of that is then he will guide and direct your path. Amen? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Active in your life in faith means that you don't ever know exactly until you ask what the Lord wants you to do. You may have a good idea. You may have gone through the exact situation. But ask him anyway. You may find he's got a little subtle thing that is different for this particular situation that applies to just this one time. We see that in this new strategy. Verse 3, so Joshua rose and all of the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. Now, does anything strike you there? 
That is 10 times the number that he took the first time. That's a little bit different, isn't it? So Joshua's going, ah, we only need two, 3,000 guys. And God's saying, oh, no, you don't. Now you would think, based on the city itself and what you saw with your own eyes, you see, if you walk by sight, you deceive yourself. If you walk by faith, you're not deceived. Faith would have said, hey, maybe there's something we don't see. We ought to ask God. Instead, Joshua sent the spies. The spies came back and said, piece of cake. And they were wrong. The devil's not to be trifled with, church. And I'm not saying that every one of you is under the personal gaze of Satan himself. He is not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. He's not all-powerful. He's not the guy that's hunting you down. But he's got a whole boatload of demons. He has principalities and powers. He is the ruler of the darkness of this age. He's got a few tools in his tool bag. And he can oppress you. So be careful. Because he's probably got a plan to try and upset your apple cart of life. And he commanded them saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city, behind the city, and do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. And then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and it will come about that when they come out against us at first, we shall flee before them. Now, this is a pretty crafty plan. They're literally setting up an ambush. They're going to bait the people inside of the city to come outside of the one place that they're safe, which is inside the city. For they shall come out after us until we've drawn them away from the city, and they will say, look, they're fleeing, just as they did the first time. And therefore, we will flee before them. So you can see this whole plan kind of coming to fruition. And then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord God will deliver it into your hand. And it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire. Now here's, here's the crazy thing. They're actually not going to have to fight for the city, are they? Because the inhabitants of the city are going to think that they have the Israelites on the run. And there goes the army, which is this massive army. And they appear to be afraid of the inhabitants of Ai. So they're all going to chase after them. The city's going to be empty. No loss of life. And you know, there's an interesting thing that happens when you burn a city to the ground. If there was any gold or silver, it's there for the pickings after you go through the ashes. So they're going to get all the valuable stuff anyway, and nobody's going to die. Ultimately, God is going to give them instruction because he's righteous, what he wants to do. But according to the commandment, the Lord, you shall do. And see, I've commanded you. And Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and Ai, Bethel, the house of God, city about two miles from this little tiny city, on the west side of Ai, but Joshua lodged that night among the people. Every good commander of the Lord's army knows that their place is with the people. That was David's problem, wasn't it? 
David was a man of war. He should have been with the men of war. He should have been on the battlefield, but instead he was home, and there was Bathsheba. If he'd have been doing what every good soldier should have done, that whole situation would have never happened, and David would have saved himself a ton of problem. And then Joshua rose early in the morning, mustered all the people, and went up, and all the elders of Israel before the people of Ai, and all the people of war who were with him, went up and drew near. And they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. And now a valley lay between them and Ai. And he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north of the city and its rear guard to the west of the city, Joshua went that night in the midst of the valley. It's interesting how God works his plans. Notice this is completely different. Think about it. It's almost the exact opposite of Jericho. Just look at these two two battle plans, if you will. Just imagine in your mind, this is almost the exact same type of a situation. There's a walled city, but God gives them a completely different plan for victory. And I mean completely Jericho was a week of marches, right? Go around the city once a day and on the seventh day, broad daylight. This is a covert operation at night. The whole army was united at Jericho, but here in Joshua, as they face this much smaller city with fewer inhabitants, they actually divide into three sections. They're not only not together, they're in completely different parts of the valley. Well, this shows us something about how we need to be prepared for spiritual warfare. What worked yesterday may not work today. You may have had victory over a certain thing in your life. But when you face it again, don't necessarily believe that just simply because you've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, that you're going to be okay in the next battle. You need to check in with Jesus every single time you face something in your life. It's why the prayer life of the believer is so important. You need to touch base with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the great I Am before every battle. Not, not your friends who don't even know Jesus. You know what is amazing to me? How many Christians actually consult people that don't know the Lord about what they ought to do in the Lord? What do you think I should do? Well, you know, I, I think you should start a, a pyramid scheme. And they wonder why it doesn't work out. I wonder why they don't become healthy, wealthy, and wise. You don't get three or four houses. They don't end up, you know, making a million dollars in their pajamas every day. And yes, this is a recent thing. I've had people come to me, it's like, well, you know, this, this guy came to me and, you know, he, he kind of sounded like he was a Christian. Did you actually ask him if he was a believer? Before you bought the $50,000 of product that's in your garage that you now can't give away? 
I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to say, look, talk to God. If it seems too good to be true, it probably still is. This mighty miracle that happens is a completely different mighty miracle than the one at Jericho, isn't it? Let God be the God of miracles, whatever form and fashion they need to take in your life. An American business leader, actually he was born in 1886, named Bruce Barton. He worked as a publicist and a magazine editor. He would go on to start one of the United States' first and most successful advertising agencies, Barton, Durstein, and Osborne, effectively known as BDO. You might know them because they were the ones responsible for the early successes of things like Betty Crocker, General Electric, General Motors, pretty successful companies in their advertising. He was also a believer. He wrote his own biography, an autobiography, named The Man That Nobody Knows, in which he gives credit to his success to Jesus. And he said this, when you're through changing, you're through, period. He said the life of the believer is so intrinsically woven into change that the moment you don't see change, there's probably something wrong. And the reason we know that is we're on a journey of sanctification, Sanctification is becoming more saint-like or saintly, more like Christ. That implies, guess what? Change. Transformation. We're constantly putting off the old, putting on the new. We're becoming something we aren't already. We're becoming something that we have not yet become. And so change is intrinsically part of the Christian experience. And if you aren't seeing change, you should actually ask yourself why. You see, we like stability. We don't like change. And I can tell you as you get older, you really don't like change. You like everything to be exactly as it was yesterday. I'm on like year number 10 drinking coffee out of the same mug every morning. Okay? Don't mock me. It's just the truth. It's like, that's my mug. It's in that cabinet. And it's in that part of that cabinet, in the front of that part of that cabinet. And oh, by the way, the creamer's on the other side of that same cabinet. And the sugar's right next to it. Now, if you want to mess with me, move my mug. It's like, I'm going to run out of the place. The sky is falling. The day can't start if the mug's not in that spot. That was actually Joshua and the Israelites' problem. The mug was where it was the morning before. They were good. You got to be careful, church. Because we serve the captain of the Lord of hosts. Amen? And he may have a different assignment for you today. He may change things up on you. Your mug might not even be in the kitchen. Might be somewhere else altogether. 
But Joshua needed to seek the Lord for what he wanted for today. It's like, Lord, if you, man, I hope he never tells me no coffee. But you know, what if? Are you going to listen? He's the Lord of hosts. It's interesting that when we use an English word strategy, that it actually is from two Greek words that together mean to lead an army. So anytime you're talking about strategy, you're implying that there's someone leading. Who is that? Who is that for you? Who gives you your daily strategy? For the children of Israel, they were back to, let's get that from God. He wanted to do a new victory. He, he wanted to do something new in their life. This is something I've become acutely aware of. Notice verse 14. And now it happened when the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went against Israel to battle. And he and all of his people at the appointed place before the plain, but he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all of Israel made as if they were beaten before them. So they're, they're actually running. They're probably screaming, you know, ah, we're done. You know, I don't know what they were saying. They fled by the way of, but you can kind of get the picture. It's like they're all going, ah, we're going to get us. You know, you can, they're, they're like hamming it up. And here comes the army. Oh, we got them now. This is totally new ground. At Jericho, they're all like, they shout, the walls fall down. And this one, they're running. And so all the people who were in Ai called all together to pursue them. They pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. And there was not a man left in Ai or Bethel that did not go out after Israel. And so they left the city open and pursued Israel. That was God's plan all along. So all of those people that perished, the ones that died in the battle, the previous one, when they lost, completely unnecessary. How many Christians have lost so many things because they did not inquire of the Lord before they went into battle? I pray it's not you. I pray it's not us as a church. The truth of the matter is that every day, God is the only one who knows what God's going to do. Amen? That's the truth for you. God is the only one who knows what God is going to do. That's why we're supposed to ask him what he's going to do. That, that's why when we think about these things from God's perspective, we have to be really careful. Because we are in the most, as Matthew Henry wisely said, we are in the most danger when we are unaware of that danger. Complacency is probably the greatest danger that you face on a daily basis. It's just being kind of not aware. And so be careful that you're aware. We see the results of all of this waiting on the Lord. And then the Lord said to Joshua, verse 18, stretch out your spear that is in your hand towards Ai. Now you can imagine that a spear was not a light thing. 
You're talking probably seven to ten pounds, and he's going to hold it up over his head. I don't know if you've ever done that, held anything that weighed four or five, six pounds, and tried to keep it up over your head for any length of period of time. This is not an easy task, but it's a whole lot easier than swinging a sword at people that are trying to kill you. Amen? For I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out his spear that was in his hand towards the city, and those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. And ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand, and they entered the city and took it and hurried and set it on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. And so they had no power to flee this way or that. Check out what's happened. They got nowhere to go. Because their safety was back in the city. What they were hoping and trusting in, God took care of without a single person being in danger. They just simply walked in, set the city on fire. I wonder how many victories that God wanted to give us this way we don't get because we take matters into our own hands. And so we end up battling much harder than if we had simply waited on the Lord. He would have given us that victory. But instead we wanted to do it our way. And so we end up getting punched in the face. Metaphorically, of course. And then the people who had fled into the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. What are some of the keys to the victory that's in this passage? We have to listen to the voice of the Lord. We have to be conscious at all times that God wants to speak to us. The very principle that Second Chronicles 20.15 reminds us of, listen, and said all of you Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem, to the king Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid or do not be dismayed because of the great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but it is God's. Jehoshaphat knew that. Joshua knows that. The battle belongs to the Lord, but we have to listen and be conscious of the voice of the Lord. Notice that Joshua was waiting for further instruction. He had done what God had asked them to do. They're running away from the city, but God gave them something in the moment. Don't stop listening for God's voice. Sometimes we hear God's voice, we get the whole thing started, but we don't ever talk to him again. Joshua was still listening. There was another step. Okay, Lift up your spear. It seems almost trivial. It seems rather trite. But it was an important part of the victory. It was what was going to turn the tide of the battle, actually. Sometimes little things in your life are the things that turn the tide of the battle. Don't forget that. God is a God of infinitely grand things. And he is also the God of the infinitely small things. And both of them matter. Both of them matter. You see, part of our problem is we we often don't listen to the voice of the Lord. You see, real faith, as James said, actually works. It does something. It's active. It's not passive. And you really don't experience the goodness of God in its full measure until you realize that you don't already have what it takes. Until you're emptied out, until you realize you can't do it, until you come to that state of spiritual bankruptcy, 
you might be tempted to rest on yesterday's manna. And God is saying to you, he's saying to me, he's saying to us, look, I need you to ask. I need you to listen. I need you to be emptied. The Apostle Paul so knew this that when he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, he said, I'm already poured out as a drink offering. But I know why. Because there is laid up for me in heaven a treasure. You're going to need to be emptied occasionally. You're going to need to take up that place that Moses took up in Exodus 17 when his hands became heavy. They put a stone underneath. Sometimes it's just going to be a battle. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. But that battle belongs to the Lord. And he is able. And you are not. When I get emptied of myself, there's room for more of the Lord. It's that simple. When I'm full of myself, there's no room for the things of the Lord. Those things are, those things are in contradiction to one another. If I am filled with me, then there's no space for God. If I am emptied of me, there's all kinds of space for the things that God wants to do and say. So in that sense, the key is you need to be empty of you if you want to be filled with him. It's the key to great victory in the, in the Christian life. Like, Lord, I don't already have what I need. I blew it, I'm sorry. Change me. I'm the problem. You know, sometimes when I'm doing marriage counseling, I'll just look at it and, and I'll just jokingly say, to the husband, to the wife, usually together. You guys know what the problem is, right? It's you. You're the problem. It's not just your relationship. It's you individually. You're so full of yourselves that you think you already have the answers, so you're not asking God to change you. You're so busy trying to change your spouse that you forgot to ask God to change you. It's always about me. God changed me. And finally, dealing with our failures. Can I just tell you a little secret to spiritual warfare? Don't pick fights with the devil. Be careful. I, I, I listen to Christians sometimes, I'm a little bit taken aback by it. It's like they, you know, they just like, well, you know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do this and I'm gonna do that. And the devil's going, no, you're not. Oh, it's gonna be a battle. It doesn't mean that you're absolutely not able, and it doesn't mean that God can't do that. But if you go off with just nothing but zeal and zero wisdom, you're going to get a beat down. Zeal and wisdom have to exist in appropriate measures of both. You can have all kinds of zeal and you can end up on the road to nowhere. And sometimes wisdom says, well, let's just not do anything. You need both things. Joshua here finally has that balance. 
There's the zeal of running. There's the zeal of getting into the battle. And there's the wisdom. Hey, we're just going to hold up the spear. That's what God said to do. Prudence, wisdom, zeal, all these things are far more effective when they're together. And so when you think about this passage in a general sense, God is willing, he's waiting, he desires to forgive and to restore. Amen? He's not just just looking at you going, well, you know, you messed up yesterday, that was it. That was your one chance. An awful lot of Christians almost deal with God like it's a job interview. It's like, well, I failed, I blew that one. You know, we live in that day and time where a lot of education is done online, right? I, I had a lady who was talking to me about, yeah, my children are all getting straight A's now. Well, if you take the test 75 times, that happens. <laughs> it's a little different when your children are sitting in a classroom with a teacher going, no, nah, you had an F on that. So you, you might want to make sure that they're actually getting the material. And the same is true with the Lord. The Lord will allow you to take the test over and over and over and over and over and over again. But he'd actually like you to get an A the first time. That's the plan. He would love for you to ace it. But when you haven't studied, when you went in and you kind of thought you already knew it, but you really didn't do what you needed to do, you didn't talk to the Lord, and you get a D minus... Praise God, you can take the test again. But you might might want to talk to the heavenly tutor, amen? And have him adjust what you know and what you think. Maybe put off the old things and put on the new a little better than you did the last time. Take advantage of that new beginning and walk in victory, amen? Because that's what God wants. God is for you. He is not against you. He has a plan for you. And that plan is good. It's a future. It's a hope. Amen? I know my thoughts, Jeremiah 29, 11 says. They're a plan to prosper you, is what Jeremiah said. God wants to prosper you. So ask him what he wants to do every day. That's the path to prosperity. Amen? Just stand and we'll close in prayer. We'll have some pastors up front if you need prayer after service. Lauren's coming back out. Father, we thank you. Lord, thank you for the infinite number of times that you were willing to allow us to start over, to begin again. Lord, we don't want to take advantage of your goodness, your nature to forgive, but Lord, we're thankful that when we do mess up, that there's an opportunity for us to say we're sorry and to start over. Helps to reach out to you in wisdom, look for those things which would keep us from that troubled situation. It would help us to walk in victory, to take the test the first time and pass it with flying colors. Lord, we love you. We are grateful for your word and how it impacts our life. 
Lord, help us to be faithful in battle. Lord, help us to be victorious. Speak these truths into our lives this week as we seek to use them for your glory. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.